Shalom, and I'd like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are doing a series on the biblical festivals. This week, we will be doing a teaching on the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. This will be our second and final session on the Feast of Tabernacles. This will also be our final session in the festival series. In this session, we are going to be speaking on the themes of Sukkot. Some of the major themes associated with Sukkot are the following. It is known as the season of our joy. It is known as the festival of ingathering. It is known as the feast of the nations, the festival of dedication, and the festival of lights. Sukkot is a seven-day festival. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34 and verse 39, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Therefore, Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is a seven-day festival. It is to be celebrated from the 15th to the 21st days of the seventh month of the biblical calendar. The seventh month is known as Tishrei on the Jewish calendar, and we're told that the 15th day of the seventh month is to be a Sabbath. It is really referred to as a high Sabbath. And the 22nd day of the seventh month is also known as a high Sabbath. And the 22nd day is referred to as the eighth day. And this eighth day is known as Shemini Atzeret, the eighth conclusion. What is a high Sabbath? A high Sabbath is a special designated Sabbath day by the God of Israel that is separate from the weekly Sabbath. A high Sabbath is known as a Shabbaton. It is the Strong's number 7677, and the 15th and the 22nd days of the seventh month are designated by the God of Israel as high Sabbath. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39, it says, Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of your land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. Keep the feast seven days. Then it says, On the first day is the Sabbath, and the eighth day is the Sabbath. Keep it seven days, but on the eighth day is the Sabbath. The word Sabbath here is the Strong's number 7677. It is the Hebrew word Shabbaton, which is a high Sabbath. It's a Sabbath that is not a regular weekly Sabbath. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles, for seven days under the Lord. The word tabernacles is the Strong's number 5521. It is the Hebrew word sukkah. A sukkah is a tabernacle, a booth, 
a pavilion, or a tent. Sukkot is a festival where we are commanded by the God of Israel to dwell in sukkahs, or to dwell in booze. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34 and verse 42, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. You shall dwell in booze seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booze or a sukkah. Sukkot is celebrated in association with remembering the historical Egyptian redemption and specifically the wilderness journey. In Leviticus 23, verse 34, and then Leviticus 23, verse 43, it is written, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So one of the reasons stated by the God of Israel of why his people is to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles is so that we would remember that he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and when they were in the wilderness they dwelt in booze. Sukkot spiritually is given so that we would understand and learn that we need to trust in the provision of the God of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 8 verses 15 and 16, we're told a reason for the wilderness journey. It says, Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions, and drought where there was no water, who brought you forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and he might prove thee to do you good at your latter end. So we're to celebrate Sukkot to remember the wilderness journey, and we're told about the wilderness journey that it's a place of serpents and scorpions and it's a place of no water and it's there where the God of Israel gives a supernatural provision of manna and he also brings forth water out of the rock. He does all these things to prove to us that ultimately he is a God of mercy and compassion And he shows us that if we are faithful in the wilderness, when he will then take us to the promised land. Sukkot is trusting in not only the God of Israel, when you trust in the God of Israel, you are trusting in the right hand of the God of Israel. And who is the right hand? It is Yeshua, the Messiah. In Psalm 118, verse 6, 8, 15 and 16, it is written, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. That is the lesson of the sukkah, is you need to trust in God and put your confidence in Him. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. And what's associated with the tabernacles of the righteous and his salvation there? The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. 
The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So who is the right hand? It is Yeshua, the Messiah. Sukkot is about trusting in the rock of the God of Israel. Psalm 118, verse 2 and verse 31, and then Psalm 78, verses 24 and verse 35, it is written, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my buckler in the horn of salvation, and my high tower. For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? So our rock is God, our rock is Yahweh, our rock is our strength, and you put your trust in the rock, and he's your buckler, your salvation, your high tower. He rained down manna upon them to eat, and he has given them of the corn of heaven. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Notice the rock is also the redeemer. And this is Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua is the rock, as he told us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and we're also told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 4. Yeshua said, Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that is the Shema, hear, do, and obey. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. Who's the rock that you build your house upon? That a wise man builds his house upon? It's Yeshua the Messiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. So in the wilderness, water comes from the rock. The rock is the Messiah. And in order to be sustained in the wilderness, you need water. Yeshua is that living water. Sukkot is associated with the cloud of glory. In the art scroll on the festival of Sukkot, on page 9 and page 17, it is written, We have learned for in Sukkah, or booze, did I settle the children of Israel when I removed them from the land of Egypt. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 43. The Sukkah, or booze, were the clouds of glory. These are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Akiva said they made themselves actual Sukkah booze. So one opinion is that the cloud of glory was the Sukkah. The other opinion is they made literal booze. I believe both are correct. They made literal booze, and the cloud of glory is the booth, the sukkah, that was with and protected the children of Israel in their journeys. Most commentators identify the clouds of glory as the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel by day and the pillar of fire that lit their way at night. And looking how Sukkot is associated with the clouds of glory, 
In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 6, it is written, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion. Remember, in our session last week, Mount Zion is the conclusion of the journey. So what do we see at Mount Zion? It says, And upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. So in Mount Zion, the conclusion of the journey, we see the sukkah, the booth, the God of Israel dwelling with his people. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. So it's talking about the provision and the protection of the God of Israel when we dwell in Zion. He is our shield. Sukkot is associated with the cloud of glory, as we can see in Exodus chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, and verse 34. It says, And they took their journey from Sukkot, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Notice the pillar of a cloud is called the Lord that's going before them. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this cloud that is following and being with the children of Israel is also called the glory of God. The glory of God sees and hears. We can see this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 7 and verse 10. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you should murmur against us? And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the God of Israel is said to be a consuming fire. Exodus chapter 24, verse 16 and 17, it is written, And the glory of the Lord abode, which is the Strong's number 7931, it's the Hebrew word shakan, and a term for the glory of the Lord is the shakinah. Shakan and shakinah are related words. The dwelling presence upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. The tabernacle is the place of the dwelling of the glory of the God of Israel. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, it is written, And let them make me a sanctuary, a mikdash, that I may dwell among them. The word dwell is the Strong's number 7931, and it's the Hebrew word shakan. And the dwelling presence of the God of Israel is known as the Shekinah. So the Shekinah is going to Shekan, dwell. Shekan and Shekinah are related and associated words in Hebrew. According to all that I show you, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Yeshua is the glory of the God of Israel. 
In Psalm chapter 29, verse 3, Ezekiel 43, verse 2, and in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 15, it is written, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon many waters. Notice it says the voice of the Lord is upon the waters and his glory thunders. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came by way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters. So the glory of God is described as his voice being like the noise of many waters. Who is this describing? If we look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 15, we can see that it's a reference to Yeshua, the Messiah. It says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And his feet, that is the feet of Yeshua, like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. If we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, verses 24 and 25, and verse 29, we can see that Yeshua is described as being a consuming fire who spoke at Mount Sinai. It says, You are coming to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place of the dwelling of the glory of God and the place of of the dwelling of the tabernacle of God, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant. See that you refuse not him that speaks. Who is him that speaks? It's Yeshua. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on the earth, who is he that spoke on the earth? Yeshua. And what is this referring to? It's referring to the events at Mount Sinai. Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. For our God is a consuming fire. The earth will be filled with the glory of the God of Israel during the Messianic era. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 it is written, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Our bodies are likened or associated to a tabernacle. A sukkah or a tabernacle is a temporary dwelling. Therefore, we are told that our bodies in this life is temporary but as we just read we have an eternal home in the heavens and we will spend eternity for those who are members of the family of Yeshua the Messiah. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 and then Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 it is written, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, referring to his body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach has showed me. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our lives are associated with being a tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, it is written, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing where he went. 
By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles. Notice that when he was seeking the will and being obedient to the God of Israel, he dwelt in the land of promise, and in dwelling in the land of promise, he dwelt in tabernacles. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in living in the promised land, physically dwelt in tabernacles, physically dwelt in tents or booths, but spiritually they were looking to be obedient and do the will of the God of Israel. So that's the city that they looked for, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. During Sukkot, in traditional Judaism, there is a reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. And what is the association with Sukkot and the book of Ecclesiastes? It is to teach you that when you mature in your spiritual walk, that you are like Abraham. You look for a city whose builder and maker is God, and you lose interest in the material things and pursuing the material things of this world. King Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes is read on the Sabbath of Kohamoed Sukkot, or on Shemini Atzeret, if it occurs on Sabbath. The most familiar reason why this book is read on Sukkot is that it describes the futility of worldly striving and extols the virtue of fear of God in keeping his commandments. This is from the Art Scroll on Sukkot on page 66. So what is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes? It tells us that pursuing this life is vanity and it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it is written, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whatever you're doing on this life, make sure it is for the purposes of the kingdom of God. During Sukkot, you are to take of four species. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39 and verse 40, we are told about this. It says, Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So these things which we are to take during Sukkot are known as the four species. What is the spiritual meaning of these four species? They represent four kinds of servants unto the God of Israel. In the art scroll on Sukkot on pages 31 and 32, it is written, Israel has many kinds of people. The four species symbolizes them all. 
The etrog is a desirable food containing both taste and pleasant aroma. It symbolizes righteous people who possess both Torah and good deeds. The lulaf, the branch of the date palm, is odorless, but it produces nourishing food. It symbolizes the scholar who possesses Torah knowledge, but is deficient in good deeds. They like studying, but they don't practice. The fragrant, tasteless myrtle leaf represents common people who possess good deeds, but lack Torah scholarship. They like to love their neighbor as their self, but they don't study the depth of the word of the God of Israel. Finally, the odorless, tasteless willow leaf symbolizes someone who lacks both Torah and good deeds. There is a connection with Yom Kippur and Sukkot. In the Art Scroll Sukkot on pages 26 and 27, it makes commentary on this association. The connection between the days of Ah, that is Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, and Sukkot is based on more than their calendar proximity. Our sages in the various Midrashim point out that Sukkot flows naturally from the cleansing and ennobling process of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Only one who has cleansed himself through repentance is capable of being imbued with the message of faith and the joy of fulfillment represented by Sukkot. It would seem that Sukkot belongs not only to the cycle of the three pilgrimage festivals, but also to the cycle of repentance and atonement, because you can only have the fulfillment and the joy of walking in the ways of the God of Israel when your sins are forgiven. Now let's see the association with forgiving the sin of the golden calf and the construction of the tabernacle. In the Art Scroll Sukkot on page 27, it is written, Vilna Gaon, in his commentary to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2, explains that the date of Sukkot is very closely connected to the appearance of the clouds of glory. When Israel sinned by building the golden calf, it became unworthy of having the clouds of glory. Moses spent 40 days in prayer pleading the case to the God of Israel for the people who made the golden calf. Finally, ultimately, on the 10th of Tishrei, the date that would later become Yom Kippur, Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the second tablets. On the next day, the children of Israel were asked to contribute to the building of the tabernacle. It was on the 15th of Tishrei of the seventh month that construction of the tabernacle began, and it was then the clouds of glory returned. The clouds of glory that accompanied Israel came about through repentance and rededication from the sin of the golden calf. Sin banished the clouds, but repentance brought them back. This is written, and this commentary is made in the Art Scroll on Sukkot on page 28. Sukkot is known as the season of our joy. 
In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 39 and 40, it is written, Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, the branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Sukkot is also associated with rejoicing, as we can see in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, as it is written, You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after you have gathered in your corn and your wine, and you shall rejoice in the feast, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless and the widow that are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast unto the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increase and in all the works of your hands. Therefore, you shall surely rejoice. The reason for the rejoicing and a reason why Sukkot is associated with the season of our joy is because Sukkot is associated with completing the task in being obedient and doing the will of the God of Israel. In the Art Scroll Ashkenaz Siddur, the prayer book, it is written, As we have seen, the three pilgrimage festivals form a progression from the birth of the nation on Passover to the assumption of its mission on Shavuot to the successful completion of its task on Sukkot. This comes from the Art Scroll Ashkenazi prayer book on Sukkot. Sukkot is known as the Feast of Dedication. Solomon dedicated the first temple during Sukkot. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it is written, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Then, regarding this event, we are told in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, Also, at the same time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great congregation, from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt. And in the eighth day they made a solemn assembly, for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. Then on the 23rd day of the seventh month, which is the conclusion of the eighth day, he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart, Sukkot is known as the season of our joy, for the goodness that the Lord had shown unto David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. It was at this time with the dedication of the temple that the glory of the God of Israel filled the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 6 and verses 10 and 11, it is written, And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. 
so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Notice the glory of the Lord fills a completed task. The reign of Solomon foreshadowed the Messianic era. The completion of the building of the temple and the glory of God filling the temple is a foreshadowing of the Messianic era because the Messianic era is associated with completing of the restoration of the tabernacle of David and that will accompany the glory of the God of Israel filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 20 and 21 and verse 24, it is written, Judah and Israel were many, as the sand which is by the sea and multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. And Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river under the land of the Philistines and under the border of Egypt. They brought presents and they served Solomon all the days of his life. For he had dominion over all the region on this side, the river, from Tipsah even unto Azah, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. Continuing on in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, 31, and 34, it is written, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceedingly much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Eshrahite, and Haman, and Halakol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom." A idiom associated with the Messianic age is being under the vine and the fig tree. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, it says, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan to Beersheba all the days of Solomon. In Micah chapter 4, verse 2 and verse 4, we can see the association with the Messianic era in dwelling under your vine and fig tree. It is written, And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, we will walk in his paths. For the Torah shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. But they shall sit every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. So looking at the characteristics of the reign of Solomon, which foreshadows the Messianic era, we are told that Solomon reigned over kingdoms. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 21 and 24. Yeshua is going to reign over the whole earth during the Messianic era. Solomon ruled in peace around him. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 24. Yeshua is going to rule and reign where there will be worldwide peace during the Messianic era. Solomon's wisdom was greater than all people on the earth. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 30 and 31. The wisdom of Yeshua will be greater than any king on the earth when he's teaching the Torah from Jerusalem. The kings of the earth brought presents to Solomon and served him. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. The kings of the earth will bring presents to Yeshua and they'll come up to Jerusalem. 
Many people came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34. Once again, the kings of the earth and the people of the earth will come to Jerusalem to be taught the Torah by Yeshua during the Messianic era. Israel and Judah dwelt safely. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. During the Messianic era, Israel and Judah will dwell safely with Yeshua the Messiah. And Israel and Judah dwelt under the vine and the fig tree. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25. We can see how the Messianic age is associated with under the fig tree by looking at John chapter 1 verses 47 through 50 as it is written. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, How did you know it was me? Yeshua answered and said, Because that before that Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, how did you know it was me? He says, well, I saw you under a fig tree. So Nathaniel knew that the fig tree, being under the fig tree is associated with the Messianic era. So if Yeshua saw him in the Messianic era, Nathaniel said, you must be the Messiah. So Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Yeshua answered and said unto him, Because I said unto you, I saw you under a fig tree, is that why you believed? I will even show you greater things than this. Sukkot is associated with the Feast of All Nations. In Numbers chapter 29, verses 12 and 13, and verse 17 and verse 20, it is written, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, that is the beginning of Sukkot, ye shall have a holy convocation, ye shall do no servile work, and ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And ye shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thirteen young bullocks are offered on day one. And on the second day ye shall offer twelve bullocks. On the third day, eleven bullocks. Then in Numbers chapter 29, verses 23, 26, 29, and verse 32, it is written, The fourth day of Sukkot, ten bullocks. The fifth day, nine bullocks. The sixth day, eight bullocks. The seventh day, seven bullocks. The total number of bullocks offered during Sukkot is 70. 13 plus 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus 9 plus 8 plus 7. So these 70 bullocks are associated with the... 70 nations that are described following the flood that happened in the days of Noah. In the Art Scroll Sukkot on page 47, it is written, During temple times, in addition to the regular daily sacrifices, the wine libation and water libations were offered each day of Sukkot as described in Numbers chapter 29. The total number of oxen offered throughout the festival came to 70, corresponding to the 70 nations who descended from Noah and who were the ancestors of all the nations of the world. We can see how the 70 bullocks are associated with the 70 nations from Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8, Exodus chapter 1 verse 5, and then Genesis chapter 10 verse 1 and verse 32 as it is written. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. What's this number of the children of Israel? We are told in Exodus chapter 1 verse 5, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. So he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. This is 70 when they went into Egypt. 
And this is going to correspond with the 70 nations that are mentioned following the flood in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 32. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Sukkot is the feast of all nations. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, we are told that during the Messianic era, all nations will be required to come to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. As it is written, it will come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Why is the punishment no rain? Because Sukkot is the season that's associated with rain. So if you don't celebrate the feast, your punishment is you don't get what the reward of the feast is. Sukkot is associated with water, or there was a water libation ceremony that took place in the first century. We're told about this in the art scroll on Sukkot on page 59. It says, apart from the daily and festival sacrifices offered in the temple during Sukkot, most of which were accompanied by an offering of fine flour mixed with oil and a libation of wine. The height of the season's joy was expressed through and during a libation of water. Among the many reasons offered for this ceremony is that on Sukkot, which is the beginning of the rainy season in the land of Israel, judgment is passed in regard to the rainfall that is made at this time. As explained in the Yad Avraham commentary to Art Scroll Mishnah Sukkot 4.9, this special water libation was performed only during the seven days of Sukkot. The seven days of Sukkot, water was poured simultaneously with the wine libation in conjunction with the daily burnt offering. This water pouring was performed only in the morning, and this is mentioned in the Talmud in Yoma 26b. The water libation is not specifically mentioned and commanded in the Torah. However, it is alluded to. How is Sukkot alluded to water in the Torah? Well, in Numbers chapter 29, it describes the additional sacrifices for Sukkot and the Torah inserts extra letters that spell the word Mayim or water in Hebrew. In verse 19, describing the additional offering of the second day, the Torah uses the phrase their libation rather than its libation, which is the expression that is used for all the other days of Sukkot. Thus, there is an extra mem there. For the sixth day, the Torah uses her libation, verse 31, providing an extra yod. And in verse 33, describing the seventh day, the Torah uses the word where you will find an extra mem. And so these extra letters form the word mayim or water, an allusion to Sukkot and its association with water and thus the water libation service in the temple. And this is mentioned in the Talmud in Tanit 2b.
The libation of water was a ceremony to which great importance was attached. As recorded in the Mishnah and Sukkah chapter 4, a golden pitcher holding three lugim was filled by a Kohen with water from the Shiloah and brought into the temple through the water gate while the shofar was sounded. The water was then poured simultaneously with a wine libation into bowls atop the altar, one bowl for water and the other for wine. The water and wine mingled as they flowed through tubes under the bowls leading to the underground passage to a deep place. This celebration of the water libation is known as the Beit HaShoivah. The festivities associated with the drawing of the water for the libation on Sukkot were the high point of the festival. These festivities, as Rashi explains, were in the fulfillment of the verse from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, and you shall draw forth water with gladness or joy. The name given to these festivities was the Simhat Beit Hashoiva, or the rejoicing of the place of the water drawing. So intense were the festivities associated with water drawing that the sages, in the Mishnah are quoted as saying, Whosoever did not see the rejoicing of the Beit HaShoivah never saw rejoicing in his lifetime. In the Art Scroll Sukkot, pages 61 and 62, it continues, Moses Maimonides, the Rambam, in the laws concerning the Lulav, describes these festivities. What was the procedure? On the eve of the first day of the festival, an upper section was prepared in the temple for women and a lower section for men to ensure that the sexes did not mix. Rejoicing began at the termination of the first day of the festival. On each day of Kol HaMoed, it began after the regular Tamid afternoon sacrifice had been offered and went on for the rest of the day and all of the following night. What form did this rejoicing take? Fives were sounded. They played harps, lyres, and cymbals. Whoever could play a musical instrument did so, and whoever could sing, sang. Others would stamp their feet, slap their thighs, clap their hands, leap or dance, each one to the best of his ability, while they recited songs and hymns of praise. However, this rejoicing did not override the Sabbath or the first day of the festival. Only the great scholars in Israel, heads of the yeshivas, members of the Sanhedrin, elders and men distinguished for their piety and good deeds, only these danced and clapped, made music and rejoiced in the temple during the festival of Sukkot. All others, men and women, came to watch and listen. So Sukkot is associated with water and the rejoicing over water. And Yeshua is the living waters. In John chapter 4 verse 11 and verses 13 and 14 it is written, The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. From where then has you the living water? Yeshua answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. In John chapter 8, verse 3 and verse 7 and 8, we are told about a woman who was 
caught in adultery, and it is recorded these words. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And then Yeshua stooped down and he wrote on the ground. What did Yeshua write on the ground and what is he referring to? He's making a reference back to Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 12 through 14 which says, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope, the mikvah, the immersion bath of Israel, all that forsake you shall be ashamed. And what did they do in John 8? They walked away. And when they walked away, he wrote on the ground. He's making a reference to Jeremiah 7, verse 13. All that forsake you shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And it says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. So he was telling them, You're not believing in me. You're departing in me. You are departing from the fountain of living waters. Sukkot is known as the festival of lights. How is this so? It tells us in the Talmud in Sukkah 51b that at the conclusion of the first festival day of Sukkot, they would descend to the court of the women in the temple where they had made a great improvement. There were golden candelabra there, each one with four golden beakers at the top. Four ladders were placed at each candelabrum. There were four youths from among the young Kohanim, and in their hands pitchers of oil containing 120 lugim which they emptied into each of the beakers. From worn-out trousers of the priestly garments and from their girdles, they would tear strips of cloth for wicks, and with these they would kindle the candelabra. And there was not a single courtyard in Jerusalem that did not shine with the light of the Beit Hashoiva, the house of the rejoicing in the water pouring. And so because of the temple lighting from these events, Sukkot is known as the festival of lights. With this in mind, Yeshua said in John chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 and verse 12, He went unto the Mount of Olives, then he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then spake Yeshua unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Where did he say the words, I am the light of the world? In the temple. Why did he say the words in the temple? Because the temple, going back to the tabernacle in the, the temple of Solomon, is the place where the light or the glory of God dwelt and manifested itself. And also, it was at the temple in the first century during the festival of Sukkot where there was this illumination. So Yeshua says, I am that light of the world, and he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now let's look at the significance of Sukkot and Hoshana Rabbah, which is the seventh day of, of Sukkot. On the first six days of Sukkot, one hakafah, which is a circuit, is made. And on the seventh day, that is Hoshana Rabbah, seven hakafot, or circuits are made, and in the days of the temple it was made around the altar. 
the Mishnah in Sukkot chapter 4 verse 5 describes the encircling the altar with willow branches in the holy temple. How was the mitzvah of the willow performed? There was a place below Jerusalem called the Motzah Valley. They descended there, gathered from their large willow branches, and came and stood them up against the sides of the altar with their tops drooping over the top of the altar. They blew on the trumpet a tikia, a teruah, and a tikia, which are various sounds of the shofar. Each day they would circle the altar one time and say, Please, Yahweh, bring salvation now. Please, Yahweh, bring salvation now. Rabbi Yehuda said they would say, Ani vaho, bring salvation now. But on that day, Hushana Rabbah, they circled the altar seven times. In John chapter 7, verse 2, in verses 37 through 39, Yeshua on Hashanah Rabbah speaks these words. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. In the last day, the seventh day of Sukkot, Hashanah Rabbah, that great day of the feast, why is it the great day of the feast? Because you have these events of the water pouring and they're circling the altar seven times. Yeshua stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Why is he saying these words at Sukkot? Because you have Sukkot, all the ceremonies of water. It's all about water. And Yeshua says, if you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Yeshua was not yet glorified. So Yeshua is the living waters, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is also likened unto water, or living water. So let's see this connection of Sukkot and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 1 and 3, and Isaiah 35, verses 7 through 10, it is written, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed, and my blessing upon your offspring. So, it talks about the outpouring of his spirit like unto outpouring water on dry ground. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So it's talking about pouring out his spirit, and now let's see what Isaiah 35, 10 links with pouring out his spirit. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. That's the end of the exile of Jacob. So, at the end of the exile of Jacob is going to be associated with the outpouring of his spirit, and their coming to Zion, which is associated with the end of the journey, the completion of the task, the restoration of the tabernacle of David that had, had fallen. They're going to return to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. Sukkot is known as the season of our joy. Upon their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness, Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What's the joy and gladness? It's the end of the exile. It's the coming of King Messiah. It's the Messianic era. What's the sorrow and sighing that's fleeing away? It is the exile of Jacob and the God of Israel hiding his face and the nations of the world ruling over the nation of Israel and subjugating them. Now, in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, we can see Sukkot and its association with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It will come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. When is he going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh? During the Messianic era. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sukkot is associated with the war of Gog and Magog. In the art scroll Ashkenaz Siddur, the prayer book for Sukkot, it is written regarding this association. Prominent in the Haftorah subjects of Sukkot is the war of Gog and Magog, the cataclysmic series of battles that will result in the final redemption, the end of the exile of Jacob, and the Messianic era. The traditional readings in Judaism for Sukkot on Sabbath Kol HaMoed comes from Ezekiel 38, verse 18 through Ezekiel 39, verse 16, and this is the battle of Gog and Magog. The conclusion of the battle of Gog and Magog is when we find the end of the exile of Jacob. Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 21 through 23, it is written, I will set my glory among the heathen. And all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid upon them. When his glory was upon his people, when he brought them out of Egypt, guess what? His judgment was upon the land of Egypt. So here his glory is upon the heathen, Gog and Magog, the nations who are attacking his people, and he's judging them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord from that day forth. What did it say in the historical Egyptian exodus? So that Pharaoh will know that I am the Lord and my people will know that I am the Lord. We have a parallel again. And Ezekiel 39:23. And the heathen will know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they transgressed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. Ezekiel 39, verse 25, 27, and 29, it is written, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Now, when is now? When he defeats Gog and Magog. Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I'm sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. So what is associated with the defeat of Gog and Magog and him regathering his people? How has he got to regather his people? Ezekiel 39:29. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord God. It is through the outpouring of the Spirit that he redeems his people. Sukkot is associated with the festival of ingathering. And who is the harvest? The harvest is the redemption of Jacob and all the whosoevers that participate in that redemption. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 and verse 16, it is written, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. Notice, it's the festival of ingathering. When you've gathered your labors, here is a worker in the field. The field is the world. Yeshua told us that the harvest is the end of the age, 
The field is the world. Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 and 38 and 39, it is written, Then Yeshua sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. So at the end of the age, at the dawn of the Messianic era, we're going to have a harvest. That's the end of the exile of Jacob and those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. And laborers are going to go out in the field through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to proclaim this message. Yeshua said that this harvest is great, but the laborers are few. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, it is written, And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Multitudes scattered abroad. What's this the description of? The house of Jacob. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest, that's the multitude scattered abroad. That's the exiles of Jacob. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers, those who are going out for them, and how do they go out? They go out teaching the restoration of the tabernacle of David through Yeshua the Messiah, and that they need to repent of their sins and follow Torah. They are few. And so he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Ephraim is called a multitude of people. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 14 and verse 19, it is written, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. His younger brother shall be greater than he, that is Ephraim, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Messiah is to gather the exiles of Israel. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and I'm known of mine. When he says he's the good shepherd, he's making a reference to the role of the good shepherd to gather the exiles of Israel. When are they gathered? At harvest time. When is harvest time? It's Sukkot. Sukkot is associated with the Messianic era. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel. Feeding them, that's teaching them Torah. By the rivers. Look, they're being brought to the rivers. Waters associated with Sukkot and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And all the inhabited places of the country. Regathering the exiles is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it is written, Yeshua came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach them what? Yeshua is the Messiah. Teach them what? They need to repent of their sins, which caused the exile, and they need to follow Torah. Immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. What is the things that he commanded them? He commanded them to follow Torah. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We're told in Psalm 137, that we are to weep for Zion. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. 
and we said these words, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? What is the Lord's song? It's the redemption of Zion. What's the redemption of Zion? The end of the exile of Jacob. And what's this associated with? The festival and gathering or the harvest. But how shall we sing? How shall we sing the Lord's song? What is Sukkot? The season of our joy. How shall we sing in a strange land? Those that sow in tears will reap in joy. We're told in Psalm 126, verse 1 and 5 and 6, as it is written. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion and in the exile of Jacob, we were like them that dream. It seemed like an absolute total impossibility. You're dreaming if you think that that can happen. But they that sow in tears, those who are weeping for Zion, shall reap in joy. What's reaping in joy? Sukkot the season of our joy. He that goes forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Sukkot is the season of our joy, bringing his sheaves or his harvest with him. Now let's look at the birth of Yeshua that happened during Sukkot. How do we understand this? In Luke chapter 1 verse 5 it is written, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zacharias was a priest, and he was of the course of Abiah. Abiah is the eighth course of priests. We're told this in First Chronicles chapter 24, verse 1, verse 5, and verse 10. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. Thus were they divided by Lot, the sons of Aaron. And the eighth Lot came to the course of Abiah. Why is this important or significant? Because in the first century, and from what we read in First Chronicles chapter 24, Israel was divided into 24 districts. In the Talmud, in Ta'anit 26a, it is written, The following are the details concerning the Ma'amadot, which are the districts. The earlier prophets instituted 24 mishmarot, which is districts, and each mishmar, or each district, was represented at the temple in Jerusalem by their own ma'amad, that's the districts that consisted of priests, Levites, and Israelites. Priests from each of the 24 districts would serve one week in the temple twice a year. The priests were divided into 24 divisions, with each division serving in the temple for one full week every half year. The division was subdivided into six families or groups, and each group was in service on one day in the week. Priests from each of the 24 districts of Israel served during the biblical feast. So, therefore, when it came to the course of Abiyah, you will have celebrated a Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost, so therefore, the course of Abiah would have been serving in the tenth week of the year. And we're told that Zacharias was of the course of Abiah. He would have been at the temple at the tenth week of the year. And we're told that Zacharias was burning incense at the altar of the temple. Luke chapter 1, verse 9 and verse 11. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Burning incense means prayer. And it says, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. What was he praying? He was praying the Amidah, or the 18 benedictions. The Amidah, known as the standing prayer, are 18 benedictions which are prayed three times a day in traditional Judaism. 
two of these prayers are for the end of the exile of Jacob and the coming of King Messiah. The coming of King Messiah is associated with the coming of Elijah who precedes King Messiah. So when you're praying for the Messianic era, you're praying for Elijah and Messiah. You're praying for the end of the exile of Jacob. So it's in this context when these prayers are being said that we're told in Luke chapter 1 verse 13 that the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, your prayer is heard. So he says, Your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear a son. You shall call his name John. And we're told about John. How is your prayer heard and the birth of John connected? Because it says about John, He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The prayer was for the end of the exile of Jacob and the coming of Messiah. And we're praying for that. You will also be praying for the coming of Elijah who precedes the Messiah. And he says, your prayer's heard. John is born. He's of the spirit of Elijah. And Matthew chapter 17, verses 10 through 13, Yeshua tells us that Elijah will precede his coming. And the disciples ask him, saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must first come? Yeshua answered and said to them, Elijah truly shall first come and restore all things. Why are we told that Elijah comes first? Well, that's true. He will come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto John the Baptist. So John was of the spirit and power of Elijah. John was born during Passover. Allowing for the laws of separation after these prayers were made from Leviticus chapter 15 verse 19 and 24 and 25 after Zacharias went back to his house as we're told in Luke chapter 1 verse 23 and then if we go forward nine months for a pregnancy we have the tenth week of the year plus two weeks plus nine months will put the birth of John at Passover and Passover is celebrated on the first month of the year, on the 14th day. The next day is unleavened bread. So how do we know that Yeshua was born during Sukkot? In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and verse 30 and 31, it is written, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. So there is six months difference in age between John and Yeshua. John was born during Passover. Add six months, you get Sukkot. How do we symbolically see the birth of Yeshua associated with Sukkot? In Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it is written, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord, what's the glory of the Lord associated with? Sukkot, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Sukkot is the season of our joy, which shall be to all people. Sukkot is the feast of all nations. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Messiah the Lord. And it says in Luke chapter 2 verse 12, This shall be a sign unto you. What's the sign? That a babe will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Remember that the worn out garments of the priest was used during Sukkot. So this is associated with a swaddling cloth. And he was lied in a manger, or 
you can understand this to be a sukkah. The sign is he is in a sukkah. Why? Because he's coming to dwell among men. This is the purpose of creation, is that the God of Israel would dwell with his people. So Yeshua is coming to dwell with his people. So why is the sign that he's got to be in a manger? Because this is fulfilling the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is that the God of Israel would dwell with his people, and Yeshua is fulfilling this here at his first coming and then during the Messianic era. Let's see how Sukkot is associated with the Messianic era. In Ezekiel 43, verse 5 and verse 7, and Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, it is written, So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So we're told that the temple of the Messianic era is the place of the throne of Yeshua, and he will dwell there forever. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. During the Messianic era, the Lord will be king over all the earth, and that day there will be one Lord and his name one. The ultimate dwelling of Yeshua with his people will be fulfilled in the days of the new heaven and new earth when we will dwell with him forever, when the bride of Yeshua will dwell with him forever in the new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, in verse 23 it is written, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it for the glory of God. He's dwelling with his people. The glory of God did lighten it. And who's the glory of God that's lighting the new Jerusalem? The Lamb is the light thereof. It is Yeshua the Messiah. This is going to conclude our teaching on Sukkot, as well as concluding the festival series itself. In looking at the themes of Sukkot, we saw that Sukkot is associated with the season of our joy. Our joy is associated with completing the task. It's known as the Feast of Dedication. Solomon dedicated the temple during this time. It is known as the Festival of Lights. This is when the temple was illuminated in the first century. At that time, we had the water libation service, the Beit HaShoeva, the rejoicing in the house of the water drawing, and water is associated with Sukkot. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is associated with Sukkot. The glory of the God of Israel is associated with Sukkot. Sukkot is associated with going into the Promised Land. The Promised Land is the Messianic Era. The Messianic Era is associated with the end of the exile of Jacob, the coming of King Messiah, and Messiah ruling and reigning with his people. And ultimately, it looks forward to eternity when Yeshua will be dwelling with his people in the new Jerusalem. Let us always remember 
these words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought to walk, that is to live our lives, even as he walked. And how did Yeshua walk? He followed Torah. And those who are going to abide in him, abiding in him means dwelling in the sukkah. If you're going to abide in him, you also will love him and keep his commandments. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.